Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon concludes an overview of the Gospel of Luke. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. We are His church, corporately, His bride. He washed us clean on the cross. No wrinkle, no spot, no blemish, a stain-free bride. You remember the Israelites, they had an individual, like they could go under their prayer shawls and have individual worship, and they also had corporate worship as a nation, the temple, and what God asked them to do. Same with the bride of Christ, the church. You are an individual bride of Christ, but you are also a corporate, the bride of Christ. It's like an office that he won for us. The office of the bride is holy, stainless, pure, because Jesus cleansed her before the wedding. The consummation was on the cross. And he cleansed the bride before the wedding. So the church is holy and pure. And we think right now with everything going on, we don't feel that holy. When I said that at mass, the one holy church, I was like, hmm. But while the office of the bride is holy, it's made up of individual sinners. Each of us in the pew. But the marks of the Catholic church are that she is one holy Catholic and apostolic. She's holy always because he washed her clean Christ died to sanctify her she was pulled from his side he's the new Adam he falls asleep on the cross and the father pulls the church out of his side and he washes her clean with the water that gushes forth and he feeds her with the blood the Eucharist and the spirit is there to testify because the Lord in John's gospel he gives over his spirit there has to be three to testify in the Jewish faith the water the blood and the spirit and John tells us that when he says this is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ not with water only but with water and the blood and the spirit is the witness because the spirit is truth there are three witnesses the spirit the water the blood and they all agree that bride has been washed clean when an individual member sins the member breaks the bond with God and with the bride both We break the bond with God, we break the bond with the church when we are in sin. So this Greek doctor, Luke, is going to help give us some medicine for our souls this year. And we need it. Now, Pope Francis was dispensing medicine in 2003. I don't know if you remember this, but I thought it was kind of cute because he was joking around that he was a physician, like Luke. And he was promoting medicine boxes that he had thousands of these made. And he was promoting prayer as the medicine for the heart. And he called it misericordinia, which means, uh, it's, he said, this is a spiritual, a box of spiritual medicine. And he was overlooking after the Angelus, and he told the people all about it. He's, what was in the box? A rosary, a divine mercy holy card, so you could pray the chaplet, and then a medicinal style instruction sheet about how to say the rosary and how to pray the divine mercy chaplet. <laughs> and he had thousands of them made, and he had volunteers handing out these boxes of medicine for all the people that were in attendance that day. He said this is a spiritual aid for our soul and for spreading love. And so they were handed out spiritual medicine, he said, that is very, very good for your heart. And I looked it up, and you can still buy these boxes of medicine on Amazon. You can get anything on Amazon. 
12.97 euros. And it, it, uh, the title means a merciful heart or a heart of compassion. If you want a heart of compassion, say the rosary and do your divine mercy chaplet. It was an analogy he was having fun with. But we all know that Jesus Christ is the real healer. He is the divine physician. And we'll see right away in Luke chapter 4 where he's going to heal a man with an unclean spirit in Capernaum right off the bat. We know that he gave healing sacraments to the church because he's a healer and he wants his bride to be whole, healthy, and beautiful, and radiant, and blemish-free. So he gave us sacraments. And I absolutely love this idea, and I made it up because I'm an old science teacher. I have not seen this anywhere, but when I saw that pure white light enters the trinity of glass... It's refracted, and Jesus is pure white light. He said he was the light who has come into the world. He's true light from true light. So he comes in, and he's refracted into seven beautiful sacraments. He is in all of them, in each and every one of them. There's seven. It's a perfect covenantal number. It's baptism, reconciliation, Eucharist, confirmation, holy orders, matrimony, and the anointing of the sick. Of those seven, two are for healing, designated for healing specifically. The anointing of the sick. It's a healing sacrament. The chrism is given to anyone in need of healing. I've had that sacrament probably four times in my life, and it is a very beautiful healing sacrament. Along with it, if you're near death, you can get viaticum, which is your final communion. It's, it's that medicine of immortality that's food for the journey home. It's called viaticum. It says in the catechism that the Eucharist is a sacrament of initiation, but it occupies a very unique place as the sacrament of sacraments. It's the granddaddy of them all. It's the source and summit of our faith. The sacrament of sacraments, all the other sacraments are ordered to the Eucharist as to their end. Because the Eucharist is Jesus Christ himself. So everything's ordered to that. Viaticum is food for the journey home. So uh, it says that communion in the body and blood of Christ received at the moment of passing over to the Father has a particular significance and importance. This is viaticum. It is the seed of eternal life and the power of the resurrection. According to the words of our Lord, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. The sacrament of Christ, once dead and now risen, the Eucharist, is here. The sacrament of passing over from death to life, from this world to the Father. And a lady from our class just told me a couple days ago that she, her father got viaticum right before he died because she knew about it because we had studied it one time. And she said, I knew to ask for viaticum. In the olden days, everyone knew to ask for viaticum. If someone was sick and near death, you send for the priest and you get the viaticum. Would your kids know if you were dying? Would your kids, if you said, viaticum, would they be like, what does she want? You know, (laughs) you know? I mean, do you know how important viaticum is, the the euchre, the food for the journey? So tell your kids you want them to call a priest and you want viaticum and tell them what it is. It's right from the scriptures. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the presbyters of the church. Let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James 5. So we need healing medicine to repair that bond with God. It's broken. If we sin, we break a bond with God and we break a bond with his church. Luke, in Luke's gospel only, Jesus says, No, I say to you, unless you shall do penance, you shall all likewise perish. So our second sacrament of healing is reconciliation. And boy, it is a powerful sacrament. The devil doesn't want you to go, that's for sure, because he'd like to keep you in bondage. He'd like to keep you in shame and disgrace. But the healing grace that comes from the sacrament of reconciliation is a medicine like none other. 
and you are shaking your heads because some of you know when you walk out, you have been healed. The divine physician is the one healing us. The priest sets in person of Christ, in persona Christi, and we confess our sins to the divine physician who heals us by the power of the Trinity. And But sin must be brought to the light to be healed. That's the key. People don't bring their sin to the light. He will forgive anything. We just got to bring it to the light. He commands us. We have to bring our sin to him to be healed. Secrecy is loved by Satan. Shame is loved by Satan. Discouragement, thoughts of unworthiness, condemnation. This is how Satan operates. He wants to keep people in shame. He wants them to keep their sins secret. He doesn't want to ever tell anyone that you did this. Don't ever say a word. It's a hidden shame of secrecy. And it's been alive in our church, we're finding out. And it's natural for fallen people to want to hide when they sin. Adam and Eve did it. First thing they did is run and hide. First thing your kid does when he breaks the mirror, he runs and hides, you know. Who broke the mirror? Johnny? Where are you? So we, we run and hide. That's what we do when we sin. And that's where Satan likes us to stay. But Jesus comes looking for us. Jesus comes looking in the garden. Adam, where are you? Adam! Does God of the universe not know where he is? He's omnipotent. He knows everything. Adam! Ali Ali Oxen free! <laughs> it is Ali Ali Oxen free. It could have been if Adam would have come and said, Lord, I sinned. Oh, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. We did not know what we were doing. We did. But what's he do? Blames, rationalizes. Well, a woman who you put me here with. You know that one? The one, oh, that one. The one that you said, ah! Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I love her, I love her, thank you. She's awesome. I love her so much more than the water buffalo. Um, yeah, that's the one. So we don't want to be in secrecy. We have to bring sin to the light. And it says in the catechism that if the sick person is too ashamed to show his wound to the doctor, Jesus, the divine physician, then the medicine cannot heal what it does not know. So we have to bring our illness to him. We have to bring our woundedness. We have to bring our fallenness to him because he wants to heal it, but it has to be brought to the light. That's what's happening right now in the church. Things are being brought to the light and it will be for the good of the church because it's purging the church. It's awesome. It's exciting. Every 14 days, the Pope goes to confession. He says, I am a sinner too. Any deeds done in the dark can be healed when brought to the light of Christ. John says, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds would be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light so that it might be seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. So he wants us to come to the light because he's the light and in him there is no darkness at all and he wants to heal all that. So we need this healing medicine to repair the bond with God that's broken. And we've also sinned against the church because sin is always communal. So we need the healing grace, that healing balm from the sacrament of reconciliation. And it is a healing balm of grace. Pope Francis said this. He says, I know people are embarrassed to confess their sins to a priest. But he says, it's better to turn red once than to turn yellow a thousand times. People, I think that's like referring to like not having courage. You might be red with embarrassment one time, but that's so much better to be forgiven. 
Priests too need confession, even bishops. We are all sinners. Even the Pope goes to confession every two weeks because I too am a sinner. My confessor hears what I say. He offers me advice. He forgives me. We all need this. And through the presence and the words of the priest, the penitent has the certainty of forgiveness in the name of the church. So it's both from Christ and from his bride, the church. Christ in persona Christi of the priest and the church. And I love that Francis goes to confession every two weeks. And you know what? He doesn't go up to some castle in some private room with some cardinal. He goes to St. Peter's Church. When tourists are walking by, he goes if people are there. He doesn't care. He goes to confession right there where the people go. Not scrolled away in some private thing. (laughs) I love that. He says, do not be afraid of confession. So the sacrament of reconciliation does offer forgiveness from God and reconciles us with the bride, the church, the community. In Luke 15, Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. What God is doing in our church is giving people a chance to repent before they die so that their souls can be saved. He's bringing things to the light so people can have eternal life if they go to confession, if they humble themselves and repent. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner than 99 righteous people. Now, there are many things that are material in Luke's gospel that are very unique only to Luke, and that's exciting to me because we sometimes think, oh, the synoptics are all alike, not Luke. He has many things that are only specific to his gospel. And I'm not going to go through them all now in the interest of time. But just next week, when you come to hear Luke chapter 1, there's five things unique only to Luke in just chapter 1 alone. But all of these things will be unique only to Luke. I'll try to point them out as we go. St. Hippolytus of Rome said this. St. Hippolytus, listen carefully, is a disciple of St. Irenaeus. Who's St. Irenaeus? St. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp of Smyrna. You know who Polycarp is. He was burnt on the pyre, and his burning body smelled like bread because he loved the Eucharist so much. As they burned him, people were like, who's baking bread? Well, his body was. But back to Hippolytus of Rome, the disciple of Irenaeus. He wrote a text called the Pseudo-Hippolytus, and he wrote about the 70 apostles of Christ. Now, Luke has this in Luke chapter 10. He talks about the mission of the 70, that the Lord appointed 70 and sent them ahead two by two to every town and place where Jesus was about to come. And Hippolytus talks about these 70 apostles, and he lists all 70. And guess what? I'm not telling you all 70, but I want you to look at number 14 and 15, because he says that Luke was one of the 70. And so was Mark, the evangelist. He was one of the 70. Mark turned out to be the bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, the Coptics. He's their apostolic apostle. And Luke, the evangelist, also was one of the 70. These two, Mark and Luke, this is Hippolytus again. He said they belonged to the 70 who were scattered by the offense of the word which Christ spoke. Except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood. He is not worthy of me. Now, what that's saying, we had this reading a while back at Mass. It was John chapter 6. And Jesus told them, you've got to eat my flesh, trogos. You've got to chew on my flesh and actually eat it. And, and, and these 70 were there. And most of them said, who can listen to these words? Who can, what is he saying? Who can listen to this? We're out of here. Luke was one of them that was out of there, according to Hippolytus. So was Mark. I'm out of here. Now, whether they just needed a break and said, I, I, got, I got to go absorb this. I got to go pray this over. I don't know. But they left. 
12 were left, the 12. And Jesus said to them, what about you guys? Will you also leave? Peter said, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of everlasting life. So I just think it's interesting that Luke and Mark were two that left with that group at that time. But the one, Hippolytus tells us, but the one induced to return to the Lord by Peter's instrumentality, Peter talked to one of them and brought him back to the fold. Who did Peter talk to? Uh-huh. If you look at the four living creatures, we did in Ezekiel, we did in Revelation, we did in Isaiah, they're the four living evangelists now. They each have a symbol. You know, Mark is the lion. And when I went to Greece this summer in the wonderful Eastern Orthodox churches, whenever you see the four living creatures, one of them always has two people in it. I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why does this one have two guys? Who are the two guys? Mark and St. Peter. Because Mark really was the scribe for Peter's gospel. And this is what Hippolytus is saying, that it was Peter who brought Mark back after those harsh words of Jesus Christ about the Eucharist. He evangelized him back into the fold. So I think that's interesting. The one being induced to return to the Lord by Peter's instrumentality was Mark. And you'll see paintings all over Greece of Peter and Mark together. Peter would tell him the gospel. Peter's a fisherman. He doesn't know how to write. Mark is educated. He can be the scribe. Take down my gospel. Short and sweet. Details are wonderful. Anointed with the Holy Spirit. So St. Mark goes on and comes back to the fold, becomes a great evangelist, a gospel writer, and the bishop of the church in Alexandria, Egypt. The other one being induced to the Lord, the other one got converted back by St. Paul. And the other one is Luke. And Hippolytus says, the other one by Paul. And they were honored to preach that gospel on account of which they also suffered martyrdom. So we know that Mark died a martyr's death. He was drug around town. He was drug uh, around till he died. And then um, Luke, tradition says he was hung from an olive tree, martyred. So I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went with him. And Jesus said to the 12, will you also go away? And Simon said, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One chosen of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was to betray him. I want you to see... That in the church, Jesus picked 12 apostles, and one of them became infiltrated by Satan. This can happen. This is the insiders. If Judas would have repented, Christ would have forgave him. But he despaired and went and took his own life. So, so even at the time of Christ, people within his own inner circle were evil. They were wolves in shepherd's clothing. Okay. So Luke and Paul were great friends. Paul evangelized Luke back into the fold. Luke is considered to be a likely, most likely to be a Gentile Christian. Some scholars think he's a Hellenized Jew. Hellenized means Greek. The world, the whole world was Hellenized in the Greek empire. Alexander the Great Hellenized the world. Then Rome took it over. Paul tells us in Colossians that Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. They're with me. And he says that Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, for they have proved a comfort to me. 
That makes us think he doesn't list Luke as one of the Jews. So we think Luke is Gentile, but a convert to Judaism. And what a great teacher to have than Paul. Paul was trained by Gamaliel. Paul knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. And Paul's, Luke's going to travel with him as a travel companion. And Luke's going to learn from Paul everything because Luke's a quick study. Luke is pretty sharp. In Philemon, Luke is mentioned as his fellow worker. And Luke's presence in Rome with the Apostle Paul at the end of Paul's life is attested to in 2 Timothy 4 when Paul says, only Luke is with me. So Luke and Paul were good friends. He tells, he says, get Mark too and bring him with you because he'll be helpful in my ministry too. So those two again, those two that came back to the fold. Luke joined Paul at Troas. He went with him through Macedonia. Luke probably traveled with Paul to Philippi where he was left behind to serve in the church there. So Luke spent some time in Philippi. I was just in that city this summer. Uh, It's a beautiful city. The remains of Philippi where Paul preached to the Philippians. Luke departed from Philippi to join Paul on his third missionary journey through Miletus, Tyre, and Caesarea, ending up in Jerusalem. And so when we read the Acts of the Apostles that Luke wrote, we see that in Acts chapter 16, Luke starts using the pronoun we because now he's part of it. That's where Luke joins the journey, the third missionary journey of Paul, and he starts using the pronoun we. We went here, we went there, we did this, we did that. So Luke's part of it with Paul. If you go into the Basilica of St. Mary Major in Rome, you will see the first icon painted by St. Luke. It's the very first image of the Virgin Mary, and Luke is the one who painted her. Pope Francis goes there to pray before important apostolic visits. He'll go to St. Mary Major and kneel before the icon painted by Luke. So Luke is an iconographer, and he's the only evangelist that tells Mary's story. He's a physician. He's a historian. This is God. This is the divine God, but he's human. I want to meet his mother. I want to interview her. He's a very good investigative reporter, good journalist. So he goes to meet Mary somehow, but he tells Mary's story. He's the only one. And if it wasn't for Luke, we wouldn't have the joyful mysteries of the rosary because every single one of the joyful mysteries is found in Luke 1 or 2. It's my favorite go-to, the joyful mysteries. I love them. We wouldn't have them if it wasn't for Luke preserving this. So all the joyful mysteries are there. The Annunciation, the incarnation of Christ into a woman's womb is in Luke. The visitation to Elizabeth and John the Baptist leaping in her womb and the joy of the women because the full of the Holy Spirit and the nativity of Jesus only in Luke. Matthew has the wise men coming, but he doesn't tell about in the manger, in the swaddling clothes, how it happened. We have three beautiful canticles that would not be known if it weren't for Luke, and they're used in our Liturgy of the Hours, they're used in the church. The first one is Mary's canticle. It's Magnificat. We never know this if Luke wouldn't have written it down. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We wouldn't have it without Luke. We wouldn't have Zacharias' canticle. It's called the Benedictus. It's prayed every day in the church. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. It's in Luke. We wouldn't have the Nucdimitus, which means in Latin, now you dismiss. One of my favorites, Simeon, full of the Holy Spirit, runs into the temple and he prays this prayer, this beautiful song of praise. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. I can die now. I've seen salvation. I've seen Messiah. I've seen him with my own eyes. I've seen salvation, which you have prepared. It's a beautiful canticle that we would not know about had Luke not recorded it. 
all of those songs where people were full of the Holy Spirit when they sang them to the Lord. So Luke is going to be a gospel of the Holy Spirit. It's also a gospel of great joy because joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And Luke's gospel is joy, joy, joy. And it's a gospel of great mercy and love because Luke isn't Jewish. Everyone else is Jewish. He knows this is for a universal church for men and women. He tells this woman's story, Mary, Elizabeth, when no one else would. He paints Mary, the mother of God, and her infant son, and you'll see these paintings of Luke painting her. And oftentimes in the icons, there's an angel helping Luke get it just right. Oh, no, 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 her nose isn't quite like that. You'll see the angel helping him along, the angel of the Lord as he paints Mary and Jesus. Greece is just full of these paintings. A lot of places claim, we have an icon painted by St. Luke. Come here, 595 to see it. Come, come, come here, we have an icon painted by St. Luke. Okay, so St. Luke, the physician, the historian, the apostle. How did he get Mary's story? I don't know. But if you look where he's from, Antioch, and you look where she retired with John, Ephesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, John, take my mother. Mary, he's going to be your new son. Please take care of her. He knew he was going back to the father. And he entrusts her to Mary. And they moved to Ephesus. John, uh, Things are heating up in Jerusalem. James has had his head chopped off. They're after Peter. The temple's going to be burned. They they vamoose to spread the gospel too. But they go to Ephesus. John becomes the bishop there. And Mary has a house there. And I'm wondering if Luke came from Antioch one day. (laughs) I'm sure. And got Mary's story. Spent time with Mary. And I was just there with Steve and our three boys. Our younger boys, we went to Mary's house in Ephesus, Turkey this summer. And with the customs, and there's not a lot of tourism in Turkey right now. Did you know that? I didn't know. But we had Mary's house all to ourselves. There's usually a line out the door, but we hit it just right or something and got to just sit in there and pray with Mary. And we were having trouble with one of our boys, and we, we just surrendered him to Mary. And we just both cried and just stood there before her and just begged her to, to take our sons and be their mother. And there's the town of Ephesus where she lived. It's a wonderfully preserved city. And there she is outside the city looking over it. And people leave their prayers because she's a mama. She knows our needs even before we do. She knows the needs of your kids even before you know. She's a mother. She's an advocate. And she loves her children. All children are hers. She's the one still appearing. Jesus' work is done. Where, who's coming now? Mary. She came to Knock Ireland. She came to, you know, Lourdes. She came to Fatima. She's appearing all over. Her face in every culture, in every nation. She's got a message for her children. Repent. Repent. Pray the gospel. Pray for the conversion of sinners. She knows what her children need. She knows the time is short. So I'm going to end there tonight, and I'm excited to study this great evangelist, St. Luke, with you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you that we are united together again in the study of your word. We thank you for your apostle, St. Luke, and for the Holy Spirit that inspired him with your word of life for us today, still so relevant, so living. It wants to change us and move us and grow us and shape us and form us, and we thank you. I pray, Lord God, for openness this year, that we will be open to what this great apostle has for us. We pray for our church. We pray for healing. We pray for this healing medicine of your forgiving love as we come into the light with our own stuff and offer it to you for forgiveness. Amen. 
You just heard part two of an overview of the Gospel of Luke on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.